This is episode 110 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're finishing up Women's Camp 2014, Dancing on the Battlefield. This is breakout session two, Who in the World Are You? from Pam Teschner. So you all know Pam. Do I need to introduce her? She's like our women's camp hero. She's our our rep. I've gotten to spend quite a bit of time with Pam this past year. (laughs) Um, She goes to my church and she just has a really tender heart towards women. She's going to do a workshop just now on who in the world are you. So let's give a warm welcome to Pam as she comes and bestows her wisdom upon us. Well, good afternoon. I think I'm going to need to have a certain amount of energy this afternoon in order to keep you engaged and awake. After that wonderful lunch, it does kind of, your body tends to shift into siesta. So, all right. Um, I love this first quote. And that's what I want you to think about. Be who God meant you to be, and you'll set the world on fire. Be who God meant you to be, and you'll set the world on fire. Your world may be small. It may be your children. It might be your workplace. It might be your church. It might be your neighborhood. It might be some close-knit friends. But if you find out who who God meant you to be, who you are in this world, what he wants to do with you, it'll set that world on fire. And that's exactly what he wants to do with you. He wants to set your world on fire by setting you on fire. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are God. And I thank you for being here in this place, in this warm afternoon that you haven't gone off to take a siesta, that your attention will not waver, but that you will speak in and through this. And God, more than anything, I want you to use me to speak, to love. I want you to open ears and open hearts and touch. And oh God, make yourself known. Show us yourself. Show us who we are in you. Give us a fresh new glimpse of who you want us to be uniquely. For these next few moments, I give them to you. They are yours. These words are yours. Oh God, light us on fire. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the next slide is, who in the world are you? Which is what this is all about. Who in the world are you? I can remember growing up and you go through the 60s and the 70s and the big question is, who am I? Who am I and and who am I meant to be? What am I supposed to do? And I can remember going through college in the 70s and wondering, who am I? Well, when I was in, uh, when I was just a little girl growing up, my brother, older brother, who loved to tease me, and some of you had an older brother who did that, he used to call me buzzard. And I thought that that was great. And he just, you know, chuckled under his breath as I thought, oh, he's 
I'm a buzzard. And then I found out that it was a hideous bird that eats rotting flesh. And I realized that that was not a compliment after all. And in fourth grade, um, my world changed because we moved. I was going into a new school, making new friends. And that was the year of the perm. And, you know, picture me, fourth grader. So you just got the front teeth, right? So I got these nice pearly white big front teeth and a big head of frizz. And so I met my new friends and they immediately called me Curly. And so that was my nickname in fourth grade and I just kind of rolled on from there. And I remember being in my 20s and 30s and searching and searching and searching for who am I? And trying to be who God wanted me to be. Had a vision in my mind of what God wanted me to be. And that was my charge. That was my assignment to be who God wanted me to be. And I tried my best. And I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed. And I felt like I had the label not good enough. I just wasn't good enough. By the time I was 40, I was divorced. And so that label was failure. I had a failed marriage, so I was a failure. I was divorced. And in the early 90s, some of you know what that was like in a conservative Baptist church being divorced. So I struggled with those labels as I grew. But into my 30s and into my 40s and into my 50s and just ever so slightly into my 60s, God has been showing me who I am. And it has astounded me and I have not believed it. But as I go, as he continues to teach me and speak into my heart in his ever so gentle and tender way, he has been telling me who I am. He desperately wants you to know who you are. We get labeled. You have your own labels. I was just sitting with my group of Lebanon friends, and we were comparing notes about what our nicknames were in grade school. I'm sure you can remember your nicknames in grade school. Some of them were quite entertaining. Let's see, Jennifer's, I think I remember yours, no. Anyway, we all had these ridiculous nicknames, sometimes quite insulting. Sherry told us about the nickname that they slammed on her. Um, so you have your own nicknames. Well, I have our as we grow up, we keep getting one label stuck after another label stuck on us. And pretty soon we're covered with all these labels in how the world sees us. And by the time you're in, your, in the crisis of your teens and in your 20s and you're trying to find who you are and what other people think is everything and you can just be plastered with these kinds of labels and it defines you, whether it's based on your past, your failures, your mistakes, your achievements, your looks, your problems, maybe a chronic illness, an addiction, a disorder, whatever it is, whatever that label is that gets smacked on you, it becomes your identity or they become your identity. 
I want to look in the next couple of minutes at the answers to two questions. And that first question is, who are you? And I want to at least begin answering that question for you. And pray that God will speak into that. And even as we start this journey, please ask God to speak to your heart and open your ears and keep you awake. Let him speak and ask him to. I have discovered that sometimes I'm not hearing him because I'm not asking him to speak. And if I get my soul quiet and I try to put away the distractions of everything else and I focus entirely on him, my goal is not for you to focus on me, but focus on the words of God to you and let him speak into your heart. Ask him to do that as we answer the question, who are you? And the second question I want to explore the answer to is, how do you find and become your true identity? That is not her true identity. How do you find and become your true identity, who God uniquely designed you and gifted you to be. He had plans for you before the world began. He had you in mind as a unique expression of himself. What you see in front of you here is one expression of himself. And what I'm looking at across this room is other unique expressions of himself that he desires to speak and live through so that the world can see that part of him. You are here for a reason. You are not a nobody. You are here for a reason, and God wants to use you. He has gifted you uniquely to be used. It is the fierce longing of God that you know who you really are. He yearns for you to know that. It saddens him when you feel like that, plastered with negative labels. He longs for you to know who you are and to become who he made you to be. So, the next slide has our first question, or the answer to our first question, part of that answer. And it's... Uh, in Isaiah 43:1 But now this is what the Lord says He who created you and there's actually in the text uh, the word Jacob Israel because that's who it's written to but now under the new covenant as now the seed of Abraham as we are adopted that's you So those three dots are your name put your name there but now, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, he who formed you, do not fear. Whatever grips you with fear, don't fear. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Who are you? You are mine. 
I created you. I formed you in the womb. I knit you together to be uniquely who you are as an expression of who he is. And he has redeemed you. He died for you. He spilled his blood to ransom you. You were in the kingdom of darkness. You are going to be possessed by one or the other, darkness or light. There's no gray. There is heaven or there's hell. There is an eternity. It's one or the other. You are produced by, or you are possessed by dark or light. I want to be and am possessed by the living God, the God of light. Who are you possessed by? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are his. And he has put a seal on you. The seal of his Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians 1. It's there. And the spirit world around us that we can't see with our eyes, but is here, I guarantee it, I know it, is in this room right now is the spirit of the living God, Jesus Christ himself, and the powers of darkness would love to prevail against this meeting. And all of the power of light, all of the glory of God is holding that at bay. When the darkness looks on your soul, it sees Jesus Christ and God says, she's mine. She's mine and you cannot touch her. No power, nothing can separate you from him. He cannot touch your soul, but I can tell you because I've experienced, he can mess with your mind. He can mess with your mind and he can lay guilt on you, and that is his goal. If he could put enough guilt, enough discouragement on you, then he has defeated you, and you are worthless. And that's exactly where he wants you. We believe his lies, and we forget that we belong to the living God and we have sealed on us forever, for eternity, a guarantee, and don't let anyone ever make you think that you can lose it because you cannot. You are sealed permanently, guaranteeing your inheritance. You are his. One of my favorite Disney movies is The Lion King. Now I know there are some of you that perhaps weren't alive when it came out. If you're under 20, anyone under 20? Oh good, you're all alive. So I remember when it came out, I love that movie because there's, there's two scenes, my fa two favorite scenes. So one of my favorite scenes is, well, let me tell you. So you all know the story of the Lion King. So little Simba is the lion cub. Mufasa is the Lion King. And he shows his son, and they look as far as the light touches. And all of that 
will soon be his. He will inherit all of that. And Simba's excited to be king someday. And Mufasa, in his grandness, in his wisdom, raises his little cub. Well, there's an, his brother, Mufasa's brother Scar, is evil, and he wants the throne. And so he plots the death of Mufasa by putting Simba in harm's way. And Mufasa hears about that, and he runs to save his son, and he sacrifices his life to save his son. And as Simba finds him dead, and the dust, he was killed in a stampede, as the dust begins to settle, here comes Scar out of the dust, and he says, Simba, what have you done? And Simba's eyes are all filled with tears. And he says, this is your fault. This is your fault. How many times have you heard the enemy whisper that to you? This is your fault. And Simba's shaking and he's terrified. What shall I do? What shall I do? And Scar says, run away and never come back. And Simba ran, and he ran, and he ran. And he grew up in a place and lived a very lowly existence for royalty. And one day, Mufasa's friend and trusted counselor and wise little baboon named Rafiki finds Simba. And Simba says, who are you? And Rafiki says, the question is, who are you? You are Mufasa's boy. And Simba says, he died a long time ago. And Rafiki says, he's alive. And he's living in you. Let me show him to you. So off Rafiki runs. And he takes him to a pool of water. And he says, look down there. And Simba leans over the pool and he looks expectantly. And he just kind of deflates. That's not my father. That's just a reflection of me. And Rafiki says, no. Look hard. And so Simba leans and he looks. And pretty soon the reflection begins to clear and it begins to take shape and he sees the reflection of his father. And Rafiki says, see, he lives in you. And then the next thing that happens is that Simba hears the voice of his father. And Mufasa, in his deep, resonating voice, says, You have forgotten who you are. And so you have forgotten me. You are more than you have become. Remember who you are. Remember. Are you more than you have become? Have you forgotten who you are? 
remember. He wants you. He is saying into your heart right now, remember who you are. It saddens him for you to believe the lies of the enemy and to forget who you are. The enemy stalks our souls and he whispers lies into our wounds and into our doubts. And they are like cracks in the armor. And he gets in. Another scene from The Lion King is little Simba. This is before, earlier, earlier. And Simba's out exploring where he shouldn't be exploring. And he gets trapped. And these three hyenas begin to stalk him and close in on him. And he's trapped. And he's at the back of this cave-like thing. And he sees them coming. And he musters up all of his courage that he can. And he opens his mouth as a lion. And he goes, they're like, <laughs> and they close in on him. And the next time he opens his mouth and Mufasa appears behind him and with all the roar of ferocious magnificence and majesty, he roars. And those three hyena quake and fall back in fear. He has your back. He has your back. He has your sides. He has the front. And he lives in you. God himself is alive in all of his ferocious majesty. And the enemy will quake. He will quake in the presence of almighty God. Do not live in the lowly land of existence, believing a lie that you are nothing. You are everything to him. You are everything. He died for you. The enemy wants us to forget who we are, and he tells us to run away and never come back. Please, come back. If you have run away, if you have believed the lie, if you're buried in guilt, it's a lie. Come back. You are more than you have become. This is a story in scripture of a woman who had labels stuck all over her. And those labels included loser, nobody, outcast, pathetic, poor, ill. And the biggest label of them all was unclean. She was known by malady and not by name. She lost her identity to the disease that ravaged her. For 12 wretched years, she suffered with bleeding, and life became a nightmare. As a Jew in Capernaum, she was shunned and labeled unclean. Anyone and anything she touched became unclean. 
people went out of their way to avoid her. Eyes looked at her either in pity or disgust. Mothers pulled their children in the other direction when they saw her coming. Friends and family deserted her, and emptiness consumed her soul. She was desperate to find a cure, so she spent literally everything she had, everything, on doctor after doctor, but no one would help her. No one could help her. She suffered terribly under their archaic care and gradually grew worse. She was outcast, forsaken, desolate, despised. Each day dawned with hopeless predictability. And one day as she was shuffling along the streets looking for scraps, a commotion caught her attention. People were pouring into the street. A rolling wave of excitement about a rabbi spread through the crowd. Her breath caught. It was Jesus. She had heard how he healed people. And she knew in her heart of hearts that he was the son of God and could heal her. Her heart pounded with hope. Draping her, you know, Jesus was coming in her direction. And she just saw him through the moving crowd. She just kind of got glimpses of him as the crowd was shifting and moving around him. Scores of people crushed in on him. And his disciples stuck close, trying to keep the pressing crowd off him. She knew she had to get to him. Draping her shawl over her head, she struggled forward to get close to Jesus. Ducking under arms and inching forward, she knew and thought, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak, I'll be healed. Every fiber of her weakened body strained forward, trying to get to him. But the throng was sweeping him away. In one last desperate attempt, she reached out a trembling hand of faith, stumbled and just brushed the edge of his cloak. Impurity touched purity. And heaven responded. Supernatural power was unleashed and she gasped as it surged through her body, mending blood and tissue. A warm flood rushed through her body of purity and vitality. At that moment, Jesus felt the outpouring of his power, and he stopped in his tracks. Turning, he scanned the crowd, and he asked, who touched me? Well, incredulous, the disciples said, we are surrounded by people pressing in on you. How can you ask who touched me? But Jesus insisted, I felt the power go out from me. Timidly, she uncovered her head 
and stepped out from behind the crowd. People gasped and fell back in recognition as she came trembling forward in fear and fell at his feet. Sir, I have been ill for so long and I knew if I just touched the edge of your cloak, I would be healed. With tender compassion, Jesus stooped down and he said, take heart, daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She was nobody that became somebody by faith. She was forsaken and desolate and outcast, and she became the daughter of God and all the abundant blessings that that brings. She was the daughter and delight of God himself, and Jesus pronounced it in an instant. Faith changed everything. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and I like how it says it in the New King James Version, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, she is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's your story. That's her story. That's my story. That's your story. When you reach out a weak, trembling hand of faith, and God, I don't understand, I don't get it, but I believe, and in an instant, old things are passed away, and you become a new creature, and supernatural power of heaven is unleashed upon you. You might feel labeled by all of your circumstances, ostracized, struggling with life, ashamed about a past, rejected, and each day may dawn with hopeless predictability. But remember, a reach of faith changes everything. God heals your past. God changes your future. And God gives you a new identity. And he gives you a new now, a new normal, which is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in you, now living in you, through you, helping you be overcome all that you're struggling with, do you instantly recover from addiction? Most people do not. But you instantly receive the power of Almighty God that says, I will break that addiction if you will trust me. And it may be an addiction to food, to drugs, to sex, to TV, to Facebook, to your body, 
It is an unhealthy addiction, whatever form it takes, because he is your all in all. He is your all in all. And he wants to be. Last night, after Sherry, uh, at the end of the session, she led us in this prayer, which I really loved, about becoming the bride of Christ. And I didn't include this in the earlier workshop, but after hearing that last night, I thought, I got to put that back in. And it's in Isaiah 62.2. It's actually... 62, 2 through 4, and I'm going to read just pieces of it out of the New Living Translation. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. Hephzibah means my delight is in her. Hefzibah. That's the name written across your soul. Hefzibah. My delight is in her. He looks at you, the delight of his heart. And Beulah simply means you are the bride of Christ. You are married to Christ. And it says earlier in that, I believe it's verse 2, that the Lord will give you a new name that he himself speaks from his mouth. I don't know what that new name is going to be, but I know it's going to be like Hephzibah, which means my delight. You are his delight. You are his bride. That took on new meaning as I was going through a very ugly divorce, as I was struggling in a very difficult marriage, and as I became single and feeling labeled, failure, divorced. And God said to me, you are my bride. You are my delight. I cherish you. And I will never leave you and I will always be faithful to you. For those of you who have, like me, experienced the agony and the piercing pain of an unfaithful husband, know that your God is faithful, faithful to you, never will leave you, never choose another over you. I discovered this verse some years ago, <clears throat> and I love this. And there's a phrase in it that I want to tell you a little more about because it took on new meaning about a couple of weeks ago. But this I love because this is a picture of an undignified God. <laughs> the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He is a mighty, ferocious, majestic lion of Judah. And he 
will save you. And he takes great delight in you. And do you know what that word delight means? I love this picture. You dig into the meaning of that word delight, and even later when it says rejoice over you with singing, it literally means singing and dancing and leaping for joy in circles. Now that seems to be a rather undignified for us conservative Baptists. But God leaps and sings for joy and dances around you. I love what I saw and the beauty and the form of dance. What does God look like? That is a part of what God looks like when he dances. And this was praise and worship to him. Do you know that he is doing that for you? He is dancing and singing for joy, and he's singing to the endless universe, and it echoes and into infinity. And that phrase that says, he will quiet you with his love, do you know what that phrase actually means? NIV did not translate it very well, in my opinion. What it actually means is that he is silent towards your sin in full pardon. He forgives and he forgets. He wipes it away. He washes it away. He sweeps it away. He sends it to the ends of the earth as far as the east is from the west. And he says, what are you talking about? He is silent to your sin. He will never remind you. He will never bring it up again. And when you ask his forgiveness, it is gone and he will never bring it up again. I love that. You are his delight. Know that you are desired with great intensity. That you give him great pleasure. He sings and he dances for joy over you. You are the one that has captured his heart. You he loves deeply and profoundly, more than you will ever imagine. He has created you and gifted you uniquely. And he has planted his dreams in you. There's a little itch inside of you. And he wants to move you and edge you in a direction where he can use you, where he wants to use you. And, and it may be reading to kids at school. Whatever it is that he puts that little itch in you to do, that's his dream for you. That's how he created you. And he wants to use you to set your world on fire. Question two. How do you find and become your true identity? So how do you break free? In God's eyes, it's instantaneous, your transition from darkness to light. But unfortunately, for most of us, old habits die hard. So... We all struggle with those addictions. We may be gripped by fear. We may be consumed by worry. 
We may be poisoned with a, with a critical spirit or have a root of bitterness that we just can't dig out, and it keeps growing back. I keep digging those weeds out of my yard, even round, round-upping them. And somehow there's a little bit of root that stays, and here it comes again. And don't you feel like that sometimes? There's that root of bitterness, and it just keeps growing back. How do you overcome that? How do you become what he has made you to be? The world is full of self-improvement books and cosmetic surgeries. It sells acceptance through conformity to an empty way of life. I want to look at three things. And the first one... Before, yeah, the first thing is um, this. Now, um, C.S. Lewis said, until you have given up yourself to him, you'll not have a real self. You may have a self, but until you've given it up to him, you won't have a real self. That's the first thing. A word for that? Surrender. That's a word that we're not real comfortable with because you, like me, like to control things. It doesn't feel very good when things are out of control. When you are in a place that you need to rely totally on God, that's hard. But he asks for full surrender. There are two scriptures I want to refer to, and the first one is Luke 9, 23 through 25. And I'm going to read it out of the message because it sheds a whole new light. You probably know it as if anyone would come after me or follow me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me, for if anyone will save his life, he's going to lose his life, so on and so forth. But let me read it to you in the message. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-service is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose the real you? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now that's a paradox. So the paradox is in losing you gain, in dying you live, in letting go you receive more than you can hold. That letting go is painful. I have had to let go of much. There was a time where I... God asked me to let go of my sons. That was the hardest letting go I've ever done. And it took a while to get the receive more than you can hold part. Life is hard. It is a battlefield. It's not easy. You have to make difficult decisions. But God is the God of it all and bigger than it all. And he is faithful and he will, in time, you will see that you will receive more than you can hold. And I am here, I am standing here in the power of Christ 
to tell you he has given me more than I can hold. And sometimes it just takes my breath away. The more you try to go your own way, the more lost you will become. That's not what the world says. But God says, the more you try to go your own way, the more lost you will become. When you give up control and you surrender yourself to him, he gives you your true self, who you are inside that he meant you to be. That's your true self. You let go, give up control, let go of that steering wheel. I know it's a nightmare. I've had my own recurring nightmares of being on the other side of the car and feeling like we're plummeting through darkness, getting ready to hit a concrete wall. But God is at the wheel. He's not going to run you into any concrete walls. But it is a frightening thing to not have control. And when I do these things and I'm preparing and I'm, and I'm struggling with having the right words and saying the right things and not feeling like, well, that was a stupid thing to say. Um, and I will. I'll tell you, when I walk away from here, I'm going to think back and say, that was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> anyway, God's healing me from that ever so slowly. But God is in control, and when he's in control, whatever happens is what he meant it to be. And I have learned to walk away from situations and say it is what God meant it to be because I gave it to him. And whether I said the right things at the right time or I said the wrong things in my mind, it was exactly what God wanted. And this weekend, women, this weekend is exactly what God wants it to be. Do not forget that. And he has a clear message for you this weekend. Why do you think you're sitting here? For your own enjoyment? Yes. Because he brought you here to speak into your heart. Don't close your ears. Because of what you like or don't like, open your ears and hear what he has to say. And it just may change your life forever. I sat in those seats for so many years. I have sat in those seats for over 30 years. And he has changed my life year after year. He is a God who changes us. There's a verse that God has been speaking into my life for about a year and a half. Uh, every year I say, okay, God, what's wrong with me? <laughs> what's wrong with me, God, that you want to change? What is it that you want to grow? What is it that you want to develop more in me? And so I listen. And it may take a few days or a few weeks. And I listen, and, and um, what he spoke into my heart, and now it's been a year and a half, so I must have learned this lesson very well. But he said one word. Asked him for a verse, and he gave me a word, and he gave me a verse. 
And that word was surrender. Surrender, Pam. Ouch. I thought I was doing a pretty good job of surrender. Wanted to take me to a deeper level of surrender. Letting go. Letting him take the steering wheel. Letting him do what he wants to do in my life. Surrender. And he gave me Romans 12.1. And he also gave me a book that I love by Andrew Murray. And some of you know that book and have read it. Absolute Surrender. Read that sometime. Andrew Murray has got some fabulous books. And I can remember as a teenager struggling with what does absolute surrender look like? Oh God, I will be absolutely surrendered 100%, 100% of the time. 100% surrendered 100% of the time. That's my goal. That's what God asks of me. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try really hard. And how long do you think it took before I failed? Well, probably just a few minutes. We, you, I'm telling you right now, so give it up. You will not succeed with that goal. I did not succeed. And I tried for probably two decades. I still try once in a while. But which is probably why God told me, you've got to learn surrender. So what I've learned is that when he says, place yourself as an offering before me, that's all he's asking me to do. I have to take one step, and he takes all the rest. But I have to take the one step. I have to reach out that trembling hand of faith. And even though I'm weak, and even though I stumble... He is near enough, and he makes sure that there's contact. Do you think it was just a happenstance that she just happened because she stretched hard enough, prayed hard enough, felt hard enough, had enough faith? He was there for her. And he didn't ask who touched me because he didn't know. Of course he knew who touched her, who touched him. He was calling her forward so that he could speak truth and give her a new identity. That's why he said who touched me. He wants to give you a new identity. He wants to teach you surrender, absolute, which just means if all you've got is a trembling hand of faith, reach it out and say, God, I am yours. Every day I sit down in the morning and I say, God, I am yours. I am yours. And that's enough because he takes it and he does the work of absolute surrender in me. I don't have to muster it up. He does it in me. He will do it in you. He's asking you to take a step of just offering and then he will do it. He will do it. Second point is that wardrobe choices matter. Yes, they do. So I look out across the audience. <laughs> okay, I won't say much. This is camp after all. No, you're lovely today. So the first one, Ephesians 4. Let me read Ephesians 4. And he says... 
I'm going to start in the middle of 22. Put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in the true, in true righteousness and holiness. Put off, put on. I do that every day. Every day. At night, I take off, and the morning I put on. At night, I'm stale, I'm smelly, and dirty, I'm tired, and in the morning, I put on. And I shower usually. I hope that you all did that today, but you may not have. So God says, put off the old you, that's where it comes to your choice. You know, I don't understand this, can't explain it, but the sovereign God has chosen to limit himself by your faith. You must choose, and then the supernatural power is unleashed, but you must choose, and he will limit himself based on your choice. You have to take the first step. You have to choose. Every morning, you make that same decision spiritually. So I make that decision every morning, and I stand there in front of my closet like this. I do have a system, however. You wanna know my system? So my system, oh, come on, it's a little more enthusiasm. Okay, so my system is that, here are my clothes. I don't have that many, but here are my clothes, because I don't have a high, put high value importance on clothing, but anyway, here are my clothes, and I choose from the right and put to the left. Brilliant, isn't it? That way... I have every three weeks, I'm not wearing the same thing all the time. So not that anybody knows this because nobody does, I realize, because I don't notice what they're wearing. No one notices what I'm wearing. Tomorrow you won't even remember that I have this on. And I spent a long time last night and this morning trying to figure this out. So, so, I know it's not much, but you know, what can I say? So, so I'm picking off the right, and then I put it on, and I put it on the left, and then I pick it off the right, and I put it on the left, and pretty soon, you know, it goes like this. So I am having to make that decision every morning, and that's supposed to help my decision-making. It isn't really, but every morning, I have the same decision to make spiritually. Now, years ago, I hated when a speaker said, you've got to get up every morning and have your quiet time. I'm like, I am not a morning person. I'm not going to do that. And so children have a way of changing your time clock. And, um, and I suddenly became, you know, how you bolt out of bed in the middle of the night or you bolt out of bed in the morning or you feel this, these eyes staring at you at about 5 a.m., and so my time clock kind of changed, but God convicted me um, about a year and a half ago because I had the habit of getting up in the morning and saying to myself or saying to God, I'm here, I'm yours, I love you, and, and read a verse. And pretty soon I found like, was it, oh, 
Rance, I gotta get out of it. Okay, well, let's see. Where's it? Oh, blah, blah, blah. That's great. Okay, and I'd run. And I would do, I would give him like 30 seconds. Seriously, this is what my morning was for a long time. It's like I knew it was important, so I did it. 30 seconds, off I ran. And, you know, I was a little, felt a little guilty about that, which, of course, was, did not come from God, by the way. But God said to me, I invested my life in you. I am here. I died for you, and I want to just sit with you. Will you just sit with me? Just sit with me. You don't even have to study. In fact, you don't need to read a thing. Just sit with me. And so I said, okay, God, I'll give you 30 minutes. Sounds like, a, okay, a deal. I'll give you a deal. 30 minutes. What God was asking me to do was to give him 30 minutes of my morning. And so I set my clock 30 minutes earlier, and I trundle out and get my tea, and I go back to my desk, and I sit down. I'm like, oh. And even this morning, oh. And then after about 10 minutes, I said, well, this is a waste of time. If all I'm going to do is focus on what time is Debbie going to be here? What time do we need to leave? What am I going to, oh, no. And I thought, oh, God, I've just wasted 10 minutes. Why am I fixating on my day already? And the enemy wants to fill my mind with thoughts of what's coming in the day. And I just go, slam that door. Push that out. God, I am here for you. Speak into my heart. I love you. I love you. I am yours. And all he wants to do is sit with you. And then when he does, when I've sat there for a while, I can feel him moving. And sometimes he brings me to a scripture and I read some scripture and sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes he gives me a prayer. And a couple of days ago, I said, oh, God, I want uncommon communion with you. I want rare intimacy with you. I want to know you so deeply that it aches in me, that my heart yearns for you to I can't even think of anything but you. And about a half an hour later, I felt this deep ache in my heart. And I felt this yearning in my heart. And I thought, oh, God, what is this? And it was God saying, this is the yearning I have for you every day, every moment, every minute. Oh, God, I yearn for you. Oh, my daughter, my child, my bride, I yearn for you. I long for you. The ache is so deep. Sit with me. Spend time with me. Every morning. Morning is important to change your clothes. Put fresh clothes on. Put off the old. The old that's stale with sin and the wrong decisions of the day before. And start fresh with God. Let me read this, the second one, Romans 13, 14. This is phenomenal when you think about this literally. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We are always pressed with the desires of the sinful nature. And God says, how do you get past that? How do you get past those wrong yearnings? How do you get past that? Romans 13, 14, every morning, 
clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally put on Christ, Christ in me, Christ around me, Christ in my voice, Christ in my heart, Christ in my touch. Jesus Christ is what I want you to see. And then the third piece is what do you do in the morning after you've gotten dressed at least? Let me, let me give you some advice. Please look in the mirror. I live alone. I don't even have kids. My, my youngest son, who is the one who's way more verbal, my, my oldest son would be like, yeah, mom looks great. And then my, my youngest son would fall on the floor in hysteria when I came out with, in something that didn't look great. And, or he would say, oh, wait, mom, he's so cute. He's now on a Black Hawk helicopter. He's on his fourth deployment. And he's one tough, tender-hearted kid. And he would, he'd come to me and he would, oh, mom, your label's out. He'd tuck my label in. Or he'd say, that looks really ridiculous. Or he'd say, you know, mom, you need to kind of, this is the first time I've told anybody, okay? Oh, great. This is the recorded session, isn't it? <laughs> he said, Mom, you know what? You need to start penciling your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> he was like 20-something. Really, Eric? Okay. I've been penciling my eyebrows ever since. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Okay, so where was I? Um, oh, so... I don't have the benefit of that. I've got a loving cat who's like, you look great no matter what. You know, purr, 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 rub, rub, rub. Oh, I adore you, I adore you. When he wants to. And then other times it's like, yeah, leave me alone. So I have to check myself out in the mirror because I don't want to go with this, tuck, you know, like tucked in and the label out and the, you know, whatever happening and the hair sticking out and whatever. So... I check myself out in the mirror, just, okay, okay, looks good. So off I go. <laughs> Pick the right mirror. When you have gotten up in the morning and you've clothed yourself with Christ, you've picked the right wardrobe, then get the right mirror. And this is the mirror. And I just love, I just love how God puts everything together in a weekend. Don't you? I mean, I was listening this morning and last night hearing things about the mirror of the word of God, the lion that was in one of the, the songs. I just love how God puts all this together. The mirror is the word of God. That's what you look in. But let, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. Actually, I'm not going to read it in NIV. I'm going to read it in New King James. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Wow. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. Gaze upon the glory of God. That is what Moses did. He spent time in the presence of Almighty God and in the majestic glory of God. And what happened when he came down off the mount? He literally glowed. 
Have you not seen people who just kind of glow? Spend time with God in his word, sitting next to him, talking to him, just being with him and in his presence will transform you. You don't have to try to transform yourself. That's God's job. Only he can do it, and he will do it when you are faithful to spending time with him, beholding him as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, and you will be transformed into the same image. You're going to clothe yourself with Christ. You're going to look in the mirror, and as Simba bent over the pool, behold the glory of the Lord in you, and you won't see it, by the way. You won't see it, but those around you will see it. They will see God in you. The last slide I have, behold the glory of God around you and in you, and you will be transformed into that glory. The more you look into the glory of God, the more you worship him. In the morning when I sit down with him and I finally, after about five or ten minutes, realizing I'm fixating on what's going to happen in my day, and I say, well, that was a waste of ten minutes, and I slam the door and I say, oh, God, keep that away. I just want to look at your glory. And as Moses said, I beg of you, show me your glory. That is my prayer. Oh, I, God, I beg of you, show me your glory. And he will. He will show you his glory. And as you are in the presence of that glory, in the presence of God, you will be transformed by it. He will transform you. All you need to do to become who he made you to be is to let go, trust him, offer yourselves to him. Offer yourselves to him. The word offer, when, he, when in Romans 12.1, when it talks about presenting yourselves as an offering, laying yourself on the, uh, as a living sacrifice, in Romans 6.13, it talks about offer yourselves to God. That word offer, you know what that is? It's literally place yourself beside God and say, here I am. So many mornings, I sit down with my tea, plunk down beside God and say, here I am. Here I am. And I'll hear him say, here am I. Here am I. Wow. Think about that. All he asks of you is to offer yourself to him. It is so simple and it is so huge. And it is so hard. But simply offer, sacrifice, give him that time. And it might be on the way to your kids' ball games. It might be picking up, dropping off, nursing the baby, changing the diapers, 
running to the store. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes in the morning and then that's it. I've realized that that 30 minutes is so precious to me with him. And I walk away sometimes and think, I don't want to leave God. And he says, you're not. You're not. I'm going with you. And I go into the shower, and I go into my day, and I say, oh, God, keep me in your presence. And he does. My mind can be occupied with the business of the day, the decisions I have to make, the meetings I go to, the people I interact with, and he's there, and there's this peace of my heart that is always with him that he is speaking into, and my brain can be occupied with my responsibilities, and my heart is his. Sink down before him in humility. Let go and give him everything. Surrender to his goodness and mercy and literally sink into his heart. And he will open the windows of heaven and he will pour out a blessing. I'm here to tell you he does and there'll be no room to receive it. He will give you immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. You might be desolate and forsaken. You maybe have wandered into a land of lowliness and you are more than you have become. You are the daughter and delight of God. You are royalty. You are his bride. You are his daughter. Reach out to him, even though it may be a trembling hand of faith, and you will be amazed at the miracles God will work in your life, in you, through you to transform you because daughter of God, he delights. You aren't twisting his arm saying, oh God, please do this. It's that he is just waiting for you to ask because he delights in it. It's what he wants of you. So dance the dance that he has called you to, the dance of becoming who he made you to be. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are loving, and you have a ferocious majesty that protects us, that seals us, that saves us from the enemy. And our meek little roars are nothing in your presence. Oh, God, help me more and more day by day to learn that word surrender, to let go, to offer myself every day, all day, throughout the day, that you will remind me today, now, as I walk out of this forum, to keep offering myself to you. As I drive, as I go down the freeway to work, as I am with my mom, with my friends, God, help me to remember to always offer myself to you. For all of the women in this room that are struggling to know who they are, that are struggling with old habits, that you will clothe them, that they will see that they are clothed in your righteousness. Speak into that heart and heal it and show them their true identity. 
oh, how I love you. And it is so shallow. Deepen, oh God, my love for you. And deepen, oh God, the love that these women have for you. I ask this in the power and in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name and in his name alone. Amen.